Hello, how are you? Welcome along to the Sport and Life podcast. We're recording this Monday the 20th of July. Gorgeous morning here in Cheltenham. Blue skies are out, sunshine as well, uh, bathing the town in the west of England uh, and hopefully boosting everyone's uh, vitamin D levels who gets out and about today. Uh, reading some research on the British uh, Heart Foundation website, kind of tentative stuff about the link between vitamin D and staving off coronavirus, but certainly a good idea to be outdoors in our general health even uh, until we're waiting for this kind of proof uh, absolutely in the research that it's uh, good for staving off COVID-19. Uh, but on immune systems as well, thank you to Cytoplan who support the podcast. And if you are looking to optimize your immunity at the moment or anytime, it's always good, isn't it? Hopefully the current situation, which has been bleak and tragic in lots of ways, there will be a, a positive after effect, which will be a catalyst for, for health, for supporting our immune systems, to exercise, to eating well, sleeping well, all the foundations, perhaps we negated a bit, and perhaps which coronavirus and its, its kind of ruthlessness has exposed a little bit, the lack of general health in, in Western society, particularly the UK and the US, which is what I know about with the countries I've, I've lived in. Um, but if you want to go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, supplement company my family uses and has used for two decades. My father has worked there as a consultant on the supplements, which are food-based supplements, and you can get a 10% discount if you use the code DRAPER10, D-R-A-P-E-R, my last name, all capital letters and the numbers one zero. And also thank you to Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, of course, main sponsors of the podcast. Been supporting it now for three or four months. I really appreciate that. They're very local to where I live in Montpellier and Cheltenham in the beautiful courtyard, which is starting to buzz again. The cafe is opening up around there, the shops, which is nice to see. Obviously, everyone uh, sort of uh, following social distancing guidelines and, and retaining um, that practical aspect to it as we try and uh, get rid of this virus from our midst. But good to see everything back in, in that area. Bang Olufsen, Cheltenham, masters uh, of uh, installations, experts on the best equipment as well. And Bang Olufsen, the sister company, Serene AV, which is also run by Jason Briggs and his team, is not just Bang Olufsen equipment. They will uh, advise offer you a bespoke service based on, on your kind of needs and what you want in your home and perhaps offer something that's not Bang Olufsen, although Bang Olufsen is fine equipment, big fans of uh, the headphones I have, the H4 headphones as well. So thank you for them and I hope you enjoy the podcast coming up. Cheltenham Town fans, one for you potentially, Nick Houston, academy coach, academy scout in the youth setup at Cheltenham Town, also was set up in the past year, which he came on the podcast about around a year ago, similar weather actually, sat in my garden, um, hot sunny day to talk about the Bridge Academy, which is a, a kind of resource for young boys and presumably girls that will come on to find a club to help them, you know, to pick up kids that have fallen out of the system of professional football. That might be more pertinent now, as well. I guess we'll talk about it with Nick and see what he thinks because of the relative um, restrictions on finances, even at the top of the pyramid in the Premier League, may have a knock-on effect as Premier League players cascade down to the Championship, Championship to League One and uh, chat, uh, League 1 to League 2, so on and so forth. There may be more players released in the youth level, so we'll see what he has to say about that, and uh, looking forward to it. Okay, let's get on and chat to Nick Houston, youth football coach, scout, and Bridge Academy co-founder. Nick, how are you? Ed, I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good to talk to you. Um, yeah, I was good, curious, good. Uh, how, how's, the, how's the lockdown been for you? I'm guessing you, have, you didn't coach from March onwards. Are you back, are you back now? Yeah. Um, so, well, it's it's been quite quite a well unusual time for everybody, I suppose. But um, yeah, I haven't coached for yeah for a few months now. Um, wow. The bridge the bridge programs are still still all closed at the moment. Um, mm. Obviously, we've had the new guidance out uh, sort of tail end of last week, which 
which we're just sort of digesting now and hopefully we're going to be opening all the bridge sites back up in the next couple of weeks which will be which will be great that's great and what about your work in the Cheltenham youth system system are you still there are you still working with the guys when is that back and when will that be back uh, so, so we, yeah, we go back the first week of August. Um, so again, we've been, we've been closed. I mean, talent ID and, and discussions about players always seems to go on no matter what's going on in the world. But um, yeah, officially the whole academy goes back on the, the first week of August. That's when all the signed ads come back in. So again, should be, should be great for them. They've been off for, for quite a while now. So um, it'd be good to yeah. get them all back in. Yeah, I guess how difficult has it been for, for, I mean, you work in talent ID at Cheltenham Town. It must be difficult to identify <laughs> A talent when no one's playing. Yeah, I mean, we had, um, it's, it's, there's a combination of factors, really. We had all the trialists in sort of towards the end of last year that still needed decisions and obviously their their time was cut short. So they're all due to come back in. Uh, we also had the recommendations that were going to come in last season that never even came in. Um, so they're all due to come back as well as all the sort of the new referrals that you have over the summer just through you know, through different contacts and people that we know in the game. So, you know, when you can when you combine all three, it's, there's a lot of lads that you need to to get in for trials and to assess. But obviously, you know, it's just been a waiting game as to when we could when we could start that process from. Yeah, how frustrating has it been for you? Because obviously, being a coach, you tend to be social people who like getting out there and working with people. Has it been a, a surreal, strange time, a, a sort of disappointing time? Um, yeah, certainly surreal. I think. You know, from yeah, from being pretty full on, and and like I said, football is a is a twenty four hour business. You know, you, you constantly, you know, first thing in the morning, you know, you wake up to various messages, and and you know, even sort of eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, you're still getting messages mm. and calls about players. Um, and so for that to all sort of st- suddenly stop overnight is quite a yeah, quite a quite a shift for me, and um, you know, and everybody else in the game really. So yeah, probably surreal would be sort of how I describe it really mm. have you have you been have you been studying sort of coaching sort of research and things like that anything that to sort of add to your repertoire I know that often like the sort of elite managers go off and when they're in between jobs and, and look at different ways of doing things has that been part of the program in terms of, of you sort of reflecting on what you're doing with the Bridge Academy and at Cheltenham Town as well yeah, I mean, there's different resources that you could use online anyway, um, you know, different sort of you know, sessions that you can watch. And, and what's been really useful and something that, that sort of took off really during the lockdown was there's been a lot of um, sort of group chats and um, certainly on WhatsApp, you know, we've we've had, uh, I mean, various sort of recruitment chats and, mm. and chats with other professional clubs. And so really it's been quite a, a good time for sort of sharing and getting together with people from other clubs um, online. And been having mm. having discussions with them around you know their processes around recruitment, and so it's been a really good time for probably for networking um, and for sort of sharing ideas. But obviously, you know, without the sort of the you know the personal touch, really. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, quite strange. A lot of theory, not a lot of practice, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, for, that's it. Yeah. For, yeah. for a lot of people, but I'm interested because I, I just voiced an introduction to the podcast, and you may completely throw this out of the the um the water but what i was thinking was that potentially with the cascading effect of of reduced finances at the top of the game because of of lack of gates even in the premier league which we know is relatively very affluent to much of of world football but that maybe there'll be more peripheral players released from the premier league and that cascades down championship league one and two i don't know if you agree with that but i'm just wondering whether there'll be more people requiring the services of the bridge academy potentially down the pyramid that that young players might be finding themselves having slightly less opportunity off the back of the impact of the coronavirus pandemic? What do you, what do you think? 
Yeah, I think I think there's two factors really. The first one is it's all with my Chatham Town hat on. I think there's a lot less finance flow sort of flowing around, you know, the the football league at the minute and and obviously Premier League and the Championship clubs. I think what will, what they'll tend to do is they'll start to look in house a lot more and they'll mm. look at the academy players that they've got in house and they'll start to look at what other clubs have got. So I think for yeah. academy football, it's probably quite an exciting time. I think you'll see a lot of players, you know, being assessed by, you know, sort of Cat 1 and Cat 2 academies and there'll be a lot of movement um, sort of in-house as opposed to, you know, big money fees coming from abroad. I think, you know, right. the, the likelihood of seeing that as much is definitely going to be, definitely not going to be as common. Um, in terms of the bridge programme, I think, I think obviously players that, that, you know, there's always going to be a call for players that want to go into academy football. Um, I would hope that, because of the lack of finance, I think the standard and the, the demand for academy players is actually going to be a lot greater. So mm. I think you know programs like the Bridge one, there's going to be a lot of call for for from academies to look at you know what they've got on their doorstep and in and around their own county. Um, so I do think that that's going to be, going to be a factor. And I think we're going to find that we're probably going to have you know, we had a busy year last year, but I think we're going mm. to be even busier in the coming year really. That's, that's fantastic news. So it could be a positive in, in a sense that clubs look more local to, to young lads and, and those with women programmes to young girls in, in the area as well. That's, that's really positive. Do you think that you'll be working more closely with Michael Duff? Has he, has he made sort of signals that there will be less money, that he'll be looking perhaps in-house at the academy? Not really. I, th- I think I think Cheltenham is a club. You know, we we tend to look in house anyway. You know, we're not a club that goes out and spends you know fortunes on players. Um, and I think that will be even more common across you know, Championship, League One, League Two clubs. I think you know the next couple of years you won't see you know huge sums of money being spent on players. I think a lot of the the recruitment will be firstly in house. So what have you got in your own academy? And then mm. secondly, you know, what's being released from other academies and what are, you know, what's being released from your cat ones and your cat twos that maybe your know, players aren't quite ready to step into first teams at, at Premier League level or championship level, but potentially could come into a League One, League Two club, uh, get mm. some experience and, and could could do a job at that level. So I think there's going to be a lot more recruitment in house. I think there's going to be a lot more recruitment around young players uh, and, and certainly, you know, local really, um, as opposed to, like I said, spending big fees on players from, from abroad or from, you know, from elsewhere. Mm, yeah, it might impact the overseas market. That's really, that's really interesting. And it's, it's, um, it's interesting you talk about those, those Premier League players coming down to League One and Two level because I know a few ex-Cheltenham Town players like John Finnegan and people like that. And we talk about the sort of the, the different style in effect and almost it feels sometimes like a different sport, particularly with the physicality of the lower leagues that still retain that sort of, I guess, British style over, over the Premier League players. Do you find in general that Premier League youth players can adapt to that League Two level? I know that, that Michael Duff tries to play a very technical passing game, which perhaps is easier than, than other clubs to fit into. Do you sense that sometimes it's easier for League One and Two academy players to come in? Um, yeah, I think I think academy players within League One and Two tend to be sort of subject to the, the way that club plays. And so, you know, clubs in, in League One and Two don't, you know, although like Cheltenham are, are probably a more of a play inside the majority of clubs in League Two, but, you know, they, they, they kind of get brought up on the way that club plays. And so, you know, you do tend to find that players that are in League One and League Two sort of academies are, are probably physically more uh, prepared, you know, for mm. first team level at that at that level, as opposed to you know sort of Premier League and Championship releases that maybe you know have, have played some really nice football throughout their academy time, but potentially mm. haven't had the the experiences that players lower down the leagues have had. So 
know, we, we, you see it on the academy circuit as well when you play, you know, cut ones and twos. They tend to have some really, really good players and they play really nice football. Uh, but, you know, the physical attributes of, you know, our players and of players at cut three level uh, often sort of, you know, counteract that. So, yeah, mm. it's definitely a difference of styles. And again, I think you'll see more players probably in the next year or two uh, graduating and playing first team football from League One and Two clubs um, than ever before, really. That's great. That's great news. Do you think that's, is that particularly relevant? Not to, to labour the point, but in defence, because I'm thinking of centre halves as well that, that maybe used, not used to a, a certain kind of striker or forward play that you, that you get in the lower leagues. Um, not not so much. I mean, you still get you know uh, cut free academies produce you know target centre forwards, and they produce you know, big athletic central midfield players, and they produce quick wide mm. players. So I don't think it's posi- positional sort of specific. I think it's more um, like I said, just players that have the games program that they've been subjected to and the experiences because they tend to have more experiences of being in and out of the 18s or with the reserves or with the first team, you know, whereas mm. a, a cut one, you know, a big club, um, those experiences aren't as easily come by. So, you know, players in, you know, in cut, uh, cut free academies do tend to have those, those, um, you know, physical yeah. attributes that are prepared slightly, slightly better really. And it feels like there's less respect, in a sense, in the lower leagues that players don't give you as much time on the ball. Is that something that, that, that you find for, for youth players coming from a Premier League club, maybe expect to, to get a little bit of time to, to lay a ball off in defence or whatever it might be? Yeah, yeah, I would say I think when we've played, you know, certainly some of the, the really big cut ones, and we've played, you know, we've played some of the best, you know, best clubs in the country with, with our Charlton groups. And, and what you tend to find is, like I said, they, they play some really you know, nice stuff. But I think when cut ones play the cut ones, there's a lot of respect and they kind of let each other have a lot of time on the ball. And it's more, um, you know, it's more about when you've got it. Whereas I think, you know, for us as a club, you know, we, we do a lot of focus on out of possession stuff and looking to looking to press and looking to steal and be quite aggressive on the front foot. And I think we've caused a lot of uh, cut one and two clubs, you know, problems by by playing that way. Um, mm. Yeah, so I do, do think that you know it's uh, it's definitely something that that will be even more important in the coming years. Really, certainly for cut ones um, and twos, I think they will start to look at cut three players a lot more because of the the experiences they've had and the physical attributes that they're, they're slightly more used to. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting, actually, because that's sort of anecdotally when you watch it as a fan, you, you sense there's that, that word aggression is, is slightly different in the Premier League versus the, the lower leagues. And that's partly because of the way that maybe the laws are implemented and the, and the sort of contact is, is restricted. Um, so that's a, that's a fascinating aspect. Nick, remind us of the Bridge Academy, because we know we spoke last year, around this time last year, I was saying in the introduction, I believe, and um, you, you were getting going there up until March, obviously. How much of a success was it and how it had grown and, and, and tell us remind us of what you were doing with the, the players who were, who were club less um, yeah so the bridge programme probably took off even more than I expected in the first year um, so we opened the first site I think I spoke to you around sort of May June time mm. um, so yeah not, not far off this time last year and um, we opened the one site and the, the idea of the bridge programme was that we were looking to work with the best of grassroots players so not taking them away from their local clubs but looking to work with them and help them um, you know, ch- with the challenging games program, with additional training and sessions, uh, with a view to trying to get as many players signed by pro clubs as we could. Um, so we opened the first site in June. Uh, that one took off, you know, fairly fairly well. Uh, we opened the second site a couple of months after that, and we actually opened a third site before Christmas. So mm. we ended up with within our first year before sort of the March lockdown, we ended up with around 250 players on our books. Uh, we nice. signed. We had ten players signed to professional clubs in our first year, um, so yeah, it was a 
a really worthwhile project to launch and, and the first mm. year you know like i say even ex- expe- exceeded expectation even for me yeah that, that's fantastic well, great to give those those 10 people an opportunity and to give the other people another opportunity and a, and a hope as well when you look at it now and you've had a bit of time with these with these young men what is the is there, a, is there a general factor of why they've missed out in the past or is it just personal circumstances? Is it subjective analysis at academies that perhaps has ruled them out? What's your, what's your take on it? Is there, is there a trend? Um, there's a combination of factors. I think a big one for us, we're seeing uh, a lot of players that that come to us that have been in at, um, have been in at pro clubs and the, the initial trial period has been you know, not very successful. And that's, I think that's down to, you know, it's, it's always difficult in any walk of life when you're going into something new and you're going into an existing group, but it's more, even more difficult for, you know, for teenagers going into professional clubs, something that they dreamed about and, and mm. going into groups that are already established. Um, and so what we find is that a lot of the players that we were have now have been in on trial at pro clubs and that trial process hasn't worked for whatever reason. Um, we also find that, when you're looking at players that have been released from clubs, there's a lot of what we call Q3s and 4s, which are players that were born in the last quarter of the year. So they tend to be slightly less physically developed. They tend to be slightly less emotionally developed. Um, And so when we look at players that we've got on our books that have been released or have not been kept on by pro clubs, a lot of those tend to be Q3s and 4s. So I think... You know, it's definitely work from pro clubs, and I know we're big on it at Cheltenham around working with players um, and giving them that, giving them that time. Um, we call mm. it the relative age effect. So basically, being patient with players that you know have maybe got the technical ability, but because they're they're effectively six months or nine months younger than their peers, they do yeah. appear to be physically behind or or you know emotionally struggle. Um, but that's not a reason to release. It's just a reason to, to look at your program and to be more patient. But mm. we do find that we get a lot of releases um, in Q3s and 4s, definitely. And the football year is based on the school year, is it, in terms of their birth date? It's those, those kids who are born in September, they're the oldest, and those kids born in August are the youngest. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, so effectively, what, what you get is, is September through to the end of August. So you could have in the same year group, you could have a player that was born in the first week of September and you could have a player that was born in the last week of August. So mm. effectively, there's a full 12 months difference between between those those players, um, but they'd be classed as the same, you know, the same age group. So mm. sort of the law of averages would say if you compare those two to each other at any given point, the one born at the, in the you know at the beginning of the the year, as it were, would look physically more developed, would be you know emotionally more more stable, would be you know have a better understanding of the game, and would probably be mm. socially slightly better because they've ha- effectively had an extra year to learn those skills. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So you so you so you do tend to find as as again, it's just a trend and it's not a it's not a set rule, but a lot of the releases that you get are Q threes and fours where where those are those factors, you know, are, are probably quite quite clear. That's really interesting actually, because I was born in June and I remember being a relative late developer physically and, and, and you kind of remember, you know, kids that blossomed and bloomed and, and, and kind of got to six foot early and, you know, it was and then that had a psych you mentioned the confidence that has a psychological knock on effect as well, doesn't it? Because I think if you're a smaller lad at that stage, 13, 14, it starts to maybe undermine your confidence and you, you get knocked off the ball easily and, and things like that. And I don't know if you've read, Nick, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, because that, that's sort of one of the things that the myths that exposes is that age thing. And it talks about ice hockey players in the National Hockey League in the States all being born between January and March or something, something almost all of them being born between January and March. Yeah. That, was the, that was the cutoff date. And then those kids 
get coached more because they're more capable early. And then it's almost like there's a, a knock-on effect. When do those disadvantages level out? Is it in sort of the early 20s even? Yeah, so interestingly, when you look at the, the statistics for academy players, so I think across academies in, in the UK, I think around 70% or between 60 and 70% of academy signed players were Q1s and 2s, so mm. born in the first half of the year. But interestingly, when you compare that to the football league statistics, um, there are actually more, more pros that make it uh, from Q3s and 4s. And wow. so I think one of the big, big sort of attributes they put that down to is that players that are Q3s and 4s tend to have more rejection um, so mm. they tend to be released by clubs or they have these these physical factors whether physically behind or you know whether whether younger so they they have these different challenges uh, and what tends to happen is as they get older they often are more resilient they're they're more hard working mm. um, they tend to be you know they tend to be better all round uh, as opposed to a Q1 or two, maybe has had it easy throughout their mm. academy life, and then suddenly the physical attributes even out, um, and those players are are then ones that because they haven't had that challenge before tend to fall by the wayside, and they don't really want yeah. the challenge. They don't want the the um, you know they they don't want that that challenge from these players that they they've always been told that they were better than, and they've always appeared to be better than. Um, and Q threes and fours, so they do they are late developers, and they tend to come between sort of under 18s and under twenty threes. So, mm. so so that's the sort of age range you're looking at. But if you can keep a player in your program that long, and you have them all the way up to under twenty threes, then there's a very good chance that that uh, or a better chance than a Q one or two of becoming a professional footballer, which is quite quite interesting, really. Yeah, I remember when people listening who played youth football might remember this as well. When you when you're a young kid, there's there's always those um, those lads who, who develop early, who get picked up by clubs, you know, wherever you live yeah. in, the, in the country, the big clubs, and then then suddenly you sort of see them get released at 14 or 15, and you play against yeah. them, and, th- and, and suddenly there's a leveling out. And you're like, whoa, they, these guys haven't developed technical skills, so it can be a disadvantage, can it, for for those kids in a way that develop early, that get fast track, but maybe don't then rely yeah. on their, their skills. Definitely. I mean, if you put yourself in a in the shoes of, of, of one of them, so if you say, you know, it's an under nine or an under 10 that you're an early developer, you were born, you know, the beginning of September, for instance. And so, you know, everybody tells you how good you are. You have a lot of early success in terms of scoring goals or, you know, being the being the main player in a group. You get picked up by a pro club, the pro club quite like you and they sign you. You've had a lot of success early on without any real challenge. Mm. Um, and you go through your, you know, your early years where, you know, it's very much individual and one v one stuff and then as you as you get older and you come into the sort of the teenage years and the, the youth development phases where you're kind of in the thirteens and above when the physical attributes begin to even out and you have players coming into clubs that have already been released and have already been told that they you know they're not up to it for whatever yeah. reason. Those players are very resilient, they're very hard working, they're very tough. Uh with against a player that has just been told how good he is all the time and suddenly is having a a real crisis because he's maybe not playing very well or he's maybe not having the success that, that he had when he was much younger. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely, it's, they definitely look at, uh, in terms of so, uh, psychological factors, players that are Q3s and 4s are definitely more resilient and definitely, as, yeah. as, a, as a rule, definitely a lot tougher um, and more, more resilient to, to the academy and to, to the football process, really. Yeah, I remember a guy in my team actually I was under 12, under 13 level playing up in, in Malvern at a club called Malvern Wanderers. And he was scoring like 40, 50 goals a season, but he was about <laughs> yeah. six, six inches taller and about yeah. three, three stone heavier than most of us. So it was, um, 
at the time, it was a huge, huge advantage. Then you had the issue of, of ringers, didn't you? People coming in who were actually older and stuff like that. Into, into yeah. the team, which was which was which was even more complicated. But how do you sort of, I guess, in the in the Bridge Academy, you must be now looking to be more holistic and analysing that and thinking, okay, this kid has come in and he, he's been released because of X, Y, Z, or you may not know the exact reasons. But are you then factoring in things like date of birth, the, the confidence of a player? into the whole picture and, and then try to analyse what their potential might be rather than just taking a look at someone who gets knocked off the ball by a, a bigger lad and then just says, oh, he's, he's weak, he's not going to make it. Yeah, definitely. We, we, we look at you know, the relative age effects so which quarter they were born in. You look at the area that they're from and where, you know, whether that's a particularly affluent area or an area that maybe pro clubs don't don't operate in because obviously opportunity is less in those areas you look at the the financial background so you know what what's the you know, what's the financial background of the household because again you know without some sort of finance behind them they're often not in these private academies and they're often not not at these events you know where where scouts will see players so mm. so those are all are all factors that we look at um you know, against the the normal factors of you know the physicality, the the technical uh, abilities, the social skills, the psychological skills, because you may have a player that technically is brilliant but is a lot smaller than everybody else, but at some point that player will catch them up physically. So mm. you know, if you can continue to work on the the technical aspects and you can give them a, a games program that that gives them the opportunity to thrive in, you know, and that may be playing them across age groups. So that may be a player that's physically less developed may play in the year below. And that's mm. not because that player isn't very good. That's just because that's the right environment for that player. Um, so we look at different, different things that we could do as an academy to, to um, sort of, yeah. Yeah. To make these factors less really. And other academies allow you to do that today to, to play players down. It's not strictly done on the birth certificate where they say actually he's too old to, to play in this. No, I mean academy football is fairly fairly common. So players will play up uh, if they if they need or play you know an age group above if they need the physical challenge. And um, so they may be you know having a lot of success. And again, that may be Q ones and twos who are physically more developed. So the challenge for them is can they go and do that against players that are the physically you know, as big as them in the year above. Um, and you may have it the other way where players physically struggling, but maybe it's technically excellent or, you know, reads the game really, really well. So you can play him in the year below um, and he will have a lot of success because the physical element mm. is kind of taken away. Um, and it's quite common within, within academy football. It's just best practice, really. Um, you know, nobody gets anything out of playing a player in an age group where, where he's just going to get knocked about because he's half the size of everybody else. You know, mm big benefit to that it's, it's creating an environment that's right for the player really yeah and if there's those if there's mismatches as well all over a pitch then you don't develop the technical kind of skill and, and tactical skill set because you could just run over people can't you yeah team, exactly then, yeah. Then, yeah. then ruins ruins what you're trying to teach them i, I guess as, as well and it's, it's funny when you think about it because i think a lot of people in modern times have referred to to the sort of trio at barcelona of messi xavi and iniesta and said that in, in years gone by particularly in england they may not have made it because someone would have determined that they were yeah. they were too yeah. too weak too weak to 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 get through um but Nick, you reached me uh reached out to me recently about the astroturf i don't know you you campaigned to get an astroturf brought to gloucester tell us a little bit about that is that for the the bridge academy yeah so the astroturf project's a, a really exciting project that we're we're working on at the moment um which came about through really through a lack of affordable and available facilities in the area um so i don't know ed if, if you know from when you've sort of you know done five sides and stuff like that but trying to hire you know decent quality astroturf in gloucestershire 
mm. at affordable prices is an absolute you know nightmare really yeah. um and so we've always been conscious of that and we've always said as an academy that if ever we had the opportunity to to kind of you know do something about that then we would um and it came about through a teacher that we know uh, over at moat primary school in matson um where they had a building demolished a couple of years ago I think it had uh, asbestos as, a, as an issue. And, and so they demolished the building, um, but with you know different cuts to school funding and things like that, they've never actually been able to do anything with it. Mm. So it's just sat as a building site at the minute, and it's a fairly large-scale area on a school site and so we got into discussions with the school and said, look, you know, we, we would we would be really keen to, to do an AstroTurf project here um, and one that would benefit the school massively because they would have access to it during the day. So for PE mm. lessons and, you know, after school clubs and, and fixtures and stuff like that. Um, and then in the evenings, you know, we would take on the operating of it. So we would use it ourselves for our academy programme, uh, but we'd also open it up for hire for the local community um, with with some big sort of discounted rates for developing the girls game, developing disability football, developing really uh, as many sort of teams locally as we can, because we know that mm. that area is, is quite a financially sort of poor area. Um, so yeah. we're really trying to help help clubs in and around that area as much what, as we can. What area is it? Sorry, in the school name again? Uh, in Matson, it is um, in okay. Gloucester. Nice, nice. And so you'd be, you'd be a helping coach all types of, of children abilities it wouldn't just be for the bridge academy for potential professionals yeah so so the bridge academy would use it we'd probably use it one night a week uh, exclusively for the bridge program and then the other four nights we'd open it up to the wider community so for girl groups to hire disability football groups for you know adult adult teams um but but really with a focus that we'd make it a lot more affordable than ever astroturfs in the area um mm. because we'd want to keep it used by as many sort of local local groups and as much of the local community as we could really great well it's quite a really good good initiative and it's um i think people who don't live in england and particularly the west of england won't appreciate how wet it gets in the winter and how important it is to, yeah. to have that surface because i remember as a kid so much got rained off or when you did play it was like an absolute mud bog so it's um it's imp- it's a great great resource to have a, a good astroturf pitch what what do people do or what can they do to, to help support nick is there a crowdfunding or a petition that they can get involved in yeah well we haven't we haven't um rolled it out yet because we've actually got a, a pre-app in with the council for planning for it so as and when we get planning permission for it then we'd look to do some some funding uh, projects for it um so once we've got those details obviously we, you know, we, we can let everybody know um, at the moment there is a survey uh, that we've got sort of active in terms of you know the local community and and uh, young people across gloucestershire just trying to get them to fill out this survey to show a need for the facility really um okay. i think so so far you know we, we've surveyed a couple of hundred people um and the 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 findings have been massive really i mean i think 96 uh, percent of people that we've we've surveyed have said it would have a positive effect on health 94 uh, percent mm. said that they find it really difficult to find suitable affordable uh agps in the county so there really is a call for the project to, to get to get to people aware of it and, and make mm. you know, make get as many people involved in the project as we can really and do you, you still want people to contribute to that survey do you is that, is that something online or just, just yeah yeah it is online? yeah I can, send, I can send you the details for it yeah it's, a, it's an online survey it's just six questions it takes 30 seconds um, and it's yeah. still live so yeah the more people we can get to fill that, that out the better really 
And, and, and where is that publicised for you on, on the online? Mate? Is it through the Bridge Academy Facebook page? Yeah, so, it's on all media? of our social media and on our website as well. Um, so, mm. yeah, you, you'll, if you go on to uh, Bridge Football Academy on Facebook, you'll see the survey on there. Fantastic. Good stuff. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. And do keep us posted on the developments and, and how we can yeah, spread definitely. the word. Because you're, you're right, I play actually indoors at the academy in Cheltenham in, in the five-a-side court there, the sort of basketball court, really. But um, yeah. hoping that comes back soon. Well, I'm, I'm tempted to... I met, I met a guy in the park the other day who was um, saying he's in a Vets League, so I can play as one of the over-35s in the Vets League. So I'm tempted right. to uh, start doing that on a Sunday, which uh, make me feel like a spring chicken rather than a, yeah, an old guy. So that'd be good. <laughs> play Playing with 50, 50 year old guys in your in your thirties should be should be quite good. But um, uh, Nick, tell, tell, tell me your thoughts on the the playoff match against Northampton Town. Because obviously Cheltenham won the first leg of the semi two 0 and then kind of got got overwhelmed at Wadden Road to to Keith Curls Northampton. What what were your thoughts about that? Because that was we talked about physical approach. That I don't know Michael Duff hasn't been derogatory in his remarks, but just said that it was a a simple way that Keith Curls team played, but was was very effective in that second second leg of the semi. Yeah, I think Northampton are, you know, they, they are what they are. They're a big physical side and you know what you're going to get. And I think Cheltenham in the first leg, you know, got got the ball down and played played really well, took the opportunities. And um, so, you know, the first the first leg was a, a pretty solid display, really. And I think for the second leg, I, I guess, you know, again, I'm not sort of in the change rooms, but I guess, you know, not privy to the conversations, but... You know, the the plan would have been don't concede early and, and um, you know try and get a third goal and kill the kill the tie off, and I think mm. play these sides that are physically you know physically at, at it and and want that physical battle. I think when you concede early and they've got momentum behind them, um, you know you do get results like the one that came, and it, it was disappointing of course, but you know I think for Chatham overall, I think they've had a really good season, and I think if you'd have offered. You know, any of the fans' um, playoffs at the beginning of the season, they would have took it. Uh, but it's mm. obviously you know, the disappointment feels bigger because you've got a lead from the first leg and then and then get beaten the second. But um, yeah, overall, you know, I think it was a really positive season for them. But I think sometimes, you know, like I said, momentum and, and as soon as you concede that first goal and then it's mm. you know, pushed to try and get a third to kill the tie, or do you sit on your two-one lead? Um, and just that little bit of indecisiveness can often often be enough to to get the tie really yeah place have it with your head it's um and it's you know i think it was it was i felt really sad not only for the players but for the club who'd, who'd kind of put so much effort in to get it back on after the yeah, pandemic yeah. without without any fans obviously that would have played a factor at wooden road without having those fans to to potentially roar you on in those nervous moments but that intangible invisible thing momentum is amazing isn't it because you can't see it but you can sort of feel it if you're playing sport and if you're uh, if you're watching sport it's like suddenly the pendulum swings do you talk about that in coaching sessions with with players when the momentum's with them, but I guess more importantly, when it feels against them, what they can do in those moments to to maybe just try and, I guess, um, slow down the movement against them. Yeah, I think yeah, certainly something that we we speak about, and you speak about transitions where you know where perhaps you're having a, a good period and maybe you don't score and then you concede. But I, I would imagine for Cheltenham, you know, not having a crowd there was was really difficult as well because I think if you do concede that first early goal, um, then you know you, you try and try and get get the crowd up and you try and get, you know, fr- you fly into a few tackles and try and get you know, some sort of um, you know, reaction. And, and if that gets you through to half time, then you're still in the tie. I think, I think with um, not having a crowd, it's really, really difficult to, to kind of try and swing, swing momentum. And I think when they conceded that first goal, you know, definitely very, very um, difficult from there on in. I, I think for academy players, you would just ask them to try and you know, try and kill that momentum, try and slow the game down. Um mm. 
but um, yes, yeah, it's, it's easier said than done, particularly <laughs> when you know when Northampton are yeah. worse. You know, it was a bit of an onslaught for right. So yeah, it's very yeah. difficult. And, and, um, you know, they're good at what they do. They were good at the, the, the wishing the best of luck. They ended up getting promoted as well to to yeah, the exactly. wish, w- wishing the yeah. best of luck. And I know Keith Kills talked about that significant on his on his coaching resume to to have that. But do, yeah, do you think it's just the fundamentals in those? You have to accept the situation has changed slightly, and that perhaps you just play more simply and, and take less risk in those in those moments when maybe when you've conceded a goal and you feel the tide has turned. Possibly, but if all of your prep is to play a certain way and then you concede, I think it's very difficult then to to ask the players mm. or ask any group to suddenly do something different. I think, you know, the plan would have been to try and get a third goal. And I think as soon as you can see the first one, it's it's inevitable that in the players' minds, you're going, well, we're 2-1 up. You know, do we hang on to what we've got and, and just keep them out? Or do we still try and get this third goal? And I think that just that little bit of, um, you know, indecision and that little bit of doubt is, is often enough to, to tip a tie, especially, you know, with... Mm like Northampton who you know, like I said they're good at what they do and they end up getting promoted so you know the, the, the momentum was very much with them then going into the playoff finals so um, you know it, momentum's a massive thing and it's you know you just have to try and try and um, manage it the best you can really Yeah tell me about it as a Manchester United fan it's sort of a little bit concerned <laughs> after we kind of threw, threw momentum away by picking a different team against Chelsea and then getting knocked yeah. out of the FA Cup a bit, bit nervous about the week ahead with the final two Premier League games as we look to get that that final four spot, but um, just wanted to, yeah, quick, quickly sort of um, get your thoughts on the youth setup because you mentioned the lack of crowd. Presumably, youth players are, are very happy to, to not play in front of crowds, so that's going to be less of a, a significant factor. But I presume there are going to be sort of different coronavirus protocols that, that you have to be aware of. Yeah, I think uh, we, we we go back on the first week of August, so um, there'll be a lot of protocol around, you know. Uh, no handshakes and drinks breaks trying to keep certain distances and you know there'll be mm. some some um advice around sort of the breaks i mean the game itself i don't think it you know the guidance that's out now you know the game itself won't really change but it's more around the kind of the build up and the post post match um there's going to be a lot of you know bit of a different feel to it really um but yeah that, those would be the main changes i mean I, I certainly in terms of the actual game i don't think there's there's too much going to change but it will be quite strange you know seeing groups of players that have to stay a certain distance and yeah. can't, can't share drinks bottles and stuff like that because they say, they sound like minor things but when you've got a group of you know, 15, 16 year olds in the middle of a game sometimes those things are going to be quite quite difficult to implement I'd imagine. Mm. And it's presumably you won't be able to test those players either but I guess I'll just have to be cognizant maybe of, of being around older relatives would be something individually for people, for young kids to think yeah. about when they're playing. I think the around sort of self-isolating, so if the players have got any symptoms and they're obviously going to be told to, to stay home. Um, and it, it sort of ties inside with the with the schools coming back. Obviously, it will be September. Um, mm. So, you know, all the children are going to be together in schools anyway. So, it's very difficult to um, to kind of manage that. I mean, it's, it, you're really asking parents and players to be, you know, to take some responsibility and be... be um, you know, sort of self-isolate if they show the symptoms. Mm. That's, that's, you know, we, we haven't got the resources to to test those players, and certainly, you know, testing's only good for the day that you do it on. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, if you're going to test players, you'd be doing it all the time. So yeah, you have to draw the line, and you have to ask people to take some some responsibility. Yeah, so many professional athletes in their twenties and thirties have been diagnosed and have been asymptomatic as well. So I'm guessing even with teenagers that you're you're working with will be even less likely to show symptoms with the coronavirus from what yeah. we understand as well. So it's so complex. But I think like you say, just be sensible around 
around grandparents and, and everything like that. Nick, I really appreciate your time and I really wish you the best of luck with the Ashton Turf. Keep me across that because, I, I, as, you, as you know, anyone who plays local level sport just always wants facilities and resources and they do make an impact to even uh, old men like, like me or, or younger people as well who are, who are trying to <laughs> yeah. get, in, get, get into sport. So just let us know again with the Bridge Academy how we can, can follow you as well and, and all your, your, your work with Cheltenham Town too. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, yeah, it'll definitely be on our social media and there'll be plenty of um, sort of publicity to come around the, the project as and when we get the planning for it. Obviously, you know, there'll be some quite big, big uh, fundraisers and different things we're doing around that. So we'll definitely keep you, keep you informed. Good man. And any, any, any players to watch out for? Any 18, 19 year olds potentially? You mentioned, you know, that clubs might look at them. Any Cheltenham Town players, any Forest Green players, anyone that you, you can think of that will make a break? Yeah, for so, so not to name names, but we've got some fantastic lads across across the academy, really, and, and certainly in our 16s group this year, the one that, that I'm I'm involved with, and the 18s group, you know, some fantastic lads who you know we think have got really bright futures. So yeah, keep uh, keep keep an eye on that for sure. Good man. Well, Nick, thank you very much. Keep me posted, and I will uh, speak to you again soon. We'll have a catch up, hopefully, when you when you're further down the line with the application to get the Asher Turf in Gloucester. Yep. Okay. Great stuff. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate your time. Cheers. Speak soon. Thank Thanks, you, Nick. Bye bye. So there you have it, Nick Halston, who is head of talent ID, I believe, at Cheltenham Town Football Club and also co-founder of the Bridge Academy, which is offering youngsters, for whatever reason, it's still a really subjective industry, that person who's, who's determining whether a young footballer and so many people play football in the UK is, has that quality, that potential to make it as a professional and those that slip through the net, Nick and the Bridge Academy, working with them to offer opportunities. And fantastic, they have actually found 10 players in the last year, which seems not a big number, but it's pretty significant if you think those guys wouldn't have been playing professional football were it not for the academy and potentially could be stars. Particularly in the, in what he's saying there about the, um, the levels at which and the rates at which people develop and how they have those arbitrary cut-off dates in this country of September where the oldest kids tend to uh, be better at sport because they're older, more coordinated, have more time on earth to just develop and that's significant that they're trying to take that into account in terms of looking long term at what a player's potential may be and also that emotional development which is interesting isn't it when you're younger that ability to take rejection to deal with social situations maybe if you're effectively a year younger and I've seen this at my daughter's school I'm sure any of you parents will recognize that that those kids born and my daughter's born in November seems a lot more mature than some of the kids born in August but when you're almost five versus four when you start school that is hugely significant when you see how they develop day by day as youngsters and that development may slow the rate slightly in your teenage years but it's still big isn't it you think of yourself at 14 compared to what you were at 16 compared to what you were at 18 and then you think if within the same year group that arbitrary cutoff of September you could be a year younger than your contemporaries clearly physically and all levels of development is going to be different. So that's fascinating. And Malcolm Gladwell's outlines kind of outlines that as well, that people who tend to succeed in society in the West are those that are the oldest in their year group. So um, check out that book as well. Check out Nick and the Bridge Academy on social media. Facebook, I think, is a particular favourite where they, the hub where they have all the information going up and the campaign around the AstroTurf, which will be a fantastic resource to this area, but hopefully momentum around getting them across the country. Uh, thank you again to uh, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, local uh, store in Montpellier who support the podcast. And do check out uh, their website, their social media, Bang Olufsen Cheltenham and Cytoplan if you're looking to optimise your immunity at the moment uh, with your health. That would be fantastic. And uh, get us, uh, keep us uh, in touch with, with how you are and what you think of the podcast as well. Appreciate any contact, Ed Draper 81 on social media, Ed underscore Draper 81 on Instagram for 10% off 
you can uh, go to the website cytoplan.co.uk or the supplements and enter the discount code DRAPER10, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R-1-0. I got distracted momentarily because Nick's just texted me something. He's going to send me a picture for promoting the podcast. And if you could rate the podcast, by the way, on iTunes, that would be fantastic. Thank you for listening, guys. Do appreciate it. Hope you have a great week. Weather looks good in England at the moment. And uh, get out, get some vitamin D, a bit of sunshine. Thank you and bye for now.